Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melon Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another dope jam-packed insert adjective here today. It's Monday, so you know it's part one of three of our podcast series this week. And that also means our cousin of the show, Dr. Kamika Campbell, is in studio with us today to help deliver this news. Dr. K, what's up? You know I love being here. You know this is my favorite day of the week now. Hey. You know. Oh, let's get it. Let's get it. Let's get the people what they want. Oh, let's yes. get the people what they need. Let's get the people that, uh, let's get the people um, something that they did not know existed. Uh, so we have another great one for you today. Like I said, we're talking about lawsuits in Beverly Hills. We're also talking about Texas is going to Texas and a high schooler being suspended for his locks. And then we're also going to be talking mm, mm, about mm. folks not buying uh, this this picture of this uh, extraterrestrial. So listen, paper mache anyone? <laughs> so buckle up, folks. It is going to be another, another, another great one. So check out this first story here. Right, so a lawsuit accuses Beverly Hill cops of racially profiling thousands of black motorists. And this comes from blackenterprise.com. So a lawsuit has been filed in Beverly Hills accusing police officers of profiling nearly 11,000 black people during traffic stops in a two-year period. And that's according to the Associated Press. Attorney Benjamin Crump said at a press conference earlier this week that out of 1,000 88 black people pulled over by police. Only two were convicted Mm. of crimes. The suit was filed (coughs) representing most of the black drivers who were pulled over while driving in the wealthy city between August 2019 and August 2021. The number of black people who make up the population of Beverly Hills is around one and a half percent. Yet about a third of all arrests made during that time included black drivers. Mm. It wasn't to deter crime, says Crump. It was to send a message to black people that we don't want your kind around here. That is racial profiling 101, says Ben Crump. And the lawsuit is seeking 500 million in damages for the motorists. Uh, so we were talking um, off uh, off air about this, and and I was talking about my friend Theo. Shout out to Theo out there in in, in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but my first time out in Los Angeles, my first time out in California. You know, I was like, hey man, I want to go to Beverly Hills, and and he looked at me dead in my eye mm. and was like, why? <laughs> and I was like, man, all the all the fanciness around there, he was like, no. Wow. Like, like if 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 you live around here, you know that you don't go down to Absolutely. Beverly Hills unless you want to get pulled over. Oh my goodness. And it's like, oh man, so so is this like a bubble that the local um police agency is 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 building? What kind of message is this sending? I think that there are there are more. I think it's coming out about Beverly Hills, but there are community, lots of communities like this around the country. Mm. Um, so it does, I'm not surprised. Obviously, um, I also know that I, I've only been to Beverly Hills twice, mm-hmm. and I did not drive. Number one, mm. knew better. Took the bus, which you know may not be even better than that, but I took the bus. And we also know in um, 
we also know in California overall, even though it's considered this liberal state, mm-hmm. there are real protection. There's real protection given to a certain class of people yeah. across the state. Um, and yes, there's some poverty in 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 California. There's poverty in LA, mm-hmm. but um, there is protection given to certain communities yeah. like Beverly Hills by the local police. So they have an image to protect. Yeah, and that it comes at the expense of particularly black men, and, and that stinks. <laughs> yeah, and. And the profiling, yeah. you know, um, and just like uh, the the attorney Ben Crump was saying, like it does send this message, and then folks folks hear this message, mm-hmm. and then and then the uh, the the inhabitants I don't want to call them in- inhabitants I'll call them residents uh, the residents mm-hmm. around there they don't go yeah you know um, and that that's funny because there's like you said there's places around. Around the country, like that. I mean, that. let's just talk about around um, Beverly Hills. What's what's twenty five miles from Be- Beverly Hills? Lakeview Terrace. Oh, what, oh. Ha- what, what happened at Lakeview Terrace? Rodney King. Right. So even even places that are around, this is twenty five miles away, but twenty twenty five miles away. But even places around Beverly Hills aren't as protected as Beverly Hills, and they're in the same city. Right. So you know, to to uh, I mean. What bring what jumps to my mind too is the one community in Florida who got all the COVID um, tests mm-hmm. and things first before anyone else in the whole in the whole, on the whole southeast, um, because they had the resources, they had the money. Mm. Reminds me of where we live, downtown where we live, how the the police protect certain businesses versus others, yeah, because of who can afford to pay for police overtime. So yeah. there's so many different factors, but it. It reverberates to me across the country. People protect people of means. I want to be very clear about who mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Protect what they can, and they use the police to do it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And to um to bring some points in, into this uh, conversation, uh, the Stanford Open Policing Project uh, found that in a data set of nearly 100 million traffic stops across the United States, black drivers were about 20 percent more likely to be stopped than white drivers relative to their share of the residential population. Mm. The study also found that once stopped, black drivers were searched about two times more often than white drivers Surprise. while they were less likely to be carrying drugs, guns, or other illegal contraband compared to their white peers. So, so <laughs> you know, we, we, we have this, this, well, we had this running joke when we were younger that, that, look, there can't be four of us talking about black guys, young black guys. There can't be four of us in this car. Like we gotta, oh, gotta split, split it up. up. We gotta do two and two because mm-hmm. if there's four of us in here, we're definitely gonna get pulled over. Listen, there can't be four black people out of nowhere. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> sadly, <the thing laughs> is, right, right. And the thing is, like, like I'm, I'm thinking about that as an adult, and it's just like that's disgusting. Yeah, it's disgusting, and it's so ti- tiring. I am. It's yes. it's stressful. It is ex- anxiety inducing. Yes. Um, and having br- having brothers and uncles and all these uh, a husband, all these men in my life who are black, I constantly and every time something happens too, I feel like the the atmosphere is heightened and that they're yeah. at more risk instead of less. Yeah. Right. So like when I think about, I mean, all the incidents that have happened, I wonder if a case could be brought like this in other places. Mm. And I think that's the the fear of a lot of police. I know. I know. Right now. 
the Fraternal Order police is looking like this, like, <laughs> because is this going to pop up across the country? Right. Are other people going to start suing? Are right. People gonna, are people going to get hip to the ideas that are in this lawsuit and start saying, okay, we in order for us to make a difference, we're going to have to make a wider case. Yeah. This also goes to data. Now, this is my favorite part of the conversation. <laughs> in order for you to even bring a case like this, you have to have data. You have to have mm. good data. You have to have an honest accounting of what the police department is actually doing. Yeah. Um, in a lot of places, again, where we live, um, I remember in 2020 when everything was going down, when everything was popping off, we had made several requests to our local police department to give us the data from traffic stops mm. and from arrests and from a whole bunch of other things. You know, they never to this day gave us that data. I was about to ask, did you get it? And you know why? Because they weren't collecting it. Uh, that was the oh. other part of it, yes. And so we went in a couple different uh, sites, national sites that aggregate data, and we were we got like an F <laughs> on the grading scale because we were not co- we were they weren't even collecting that they they weren't wow. even recording the data properly to be able to report out on it. Wow. So the fact that they even got this far to have the data to have the lawsuit says a lot. Yeah. At the very and, and again, I think it's the bare minimum, mm-hmm. but at the very least, the data is there because yeah. it's not uh, why. I think what would stop people from bringing lawsuits like this is a like this is a lack of data. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, and and what uh, what may come, you know, it, it only takes like that that one pillar to fall to have that precedence. So if this does in fact go through, just to piggyback off you, I can see other other states mm-hmm. uh, using using attorney Crump and saying, hey, we have the same issue here as well, just yes. not in Beverly Hills. And I think a lot of people also look at Crump. People always look at Crump as a bit of an opportunist. Mm-hmm. But I think he has developed a, an expertise across the country yeah. of ha- being able to affect change for people where a lot of other lawyers can't. Right. So, yep, people are going to call on him, too, to come and, you know, look at what's going on in their areas, which I mean. If he's willing to do it, right, and some change, some positive change could come out of it. I don't see why not. Yeah, I'm waiting for that um, uh, Benjamin Crump team, just like that uh, Johnny Cochran yes, team. The team. With, yeah. Uh, the so, team. so let's uh, keep keep it moving. We're moving on to story number two. So Alan Moore asks DC Comics to reroute royalty checks to Black Lives Matter. The writer of V for Vendetta and Watchmen told DC Comics to send his royalties to Black Lives Matter because the film versions of his work no longer reflect the original principles. Let's get into it. So famed comic book writer Alan Moore has informed DC Comics that he wants his royalty checks sent to Black Lives Matter instead of him. Mm. The royalties came from television and film adaptations of his work. Mm. Now, Moore is best known for writing some of DC's most beloved comics and graphic novels, including Batman, The Killing Joke, Watchmen and V for Vendetta. And this is according to Variety. During an interview with The Telegraph, he addressed reports that he planned to divide his royalties with other creatives and writers involved with the films and series. He stated that he wouldn't do so after noticing a moralistic change in the movies and series. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) He says, I don't really feel what the films represent stood by what I originally had. And he says, so I asked for DC Comics to send all of the money from any future TV series or films to Black Lives Matter. So I'm wondering if we're going to see more of this in the future 
uh, with with people getting active and mm. and and dipping into that activist bag. This is uh, a page taken from uh, the Harry Belafonte book, uh, where where he funded absolutely a lot of of movements. He may not have been in the forefront per se, but his money kept the movement Absolutely right. going. Yeah. I just want to know <laughs> I just want to know if if Mr. Moore will also go on record um to tell us more about how terrible DC movies are anyway. <laughs> They're bad. They're pretty bad overall. Um but I will say I love the the HBO adaptation of The Watchmen so yeah. I also would love love to know what his points were. Like I want to know what he thought the moralistic changes were cuz I thought that was interesting that he felt so strongly about it because he's he's had some bangers. Yes. So I think it's interesting that he's like, take my royalties and give them to Black Lives Matter because that's a lot of royalties, I yeah. would think. Yes. I would think that. Um, yeah, but I, uh, the two that they mentioned, V for Vendetta and The Watchmen, I think those were some of the more uh, moral high ground films. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think most comments have a moral bent, a moral arc, a, a moral direction that they're going, whether it's DC, Marvel, or some other. Mm-hmm. But I think that, but and you, you don't really find out until you get get through some of it. But I, I do think that those two mentioned were some of the more in your face yeah. moral arcs um, for like the Watchmen, for example. Like that was a big. Right. You know, basing that around Tulsa, basing yeah. that around, you know, kind of this uh, this um, what do you call that? Uh, super hyper realistic slash comic slash uh, what's the other one? Sci fi. Yeah. There was so many pieces in there um, that I thought it had a, a wonderful, a wonderful moral arc. Yes. So I, I, I would love to know what. I really would like to know what he. I want him to tell me more. Like, what should be, <laughs> what should we not be supporting, sir? Right, right. Um, because I just felt like it was kind of vague. I was trying to look up to see what else was said, but mm-hmm. I don't see too much from it. Um, one of the points uh, that 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 he made was uh, was the adultification of I saw of, that of 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 the comics. Um, and and I. <laughs> I know that this is his work, but but I I disagree just 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 slightly. Yeah. Um. Um. Because I feel as though that with the adultification of of these comics, you know, these comics are growing up with us, so we're not yeah. ever really aging out of you know the V for Vendettas. Um. We're not yeah. really aging out of the Watchmen. Um. Um. Or any or, or anything like that. So. Um. I I disagreed j- just a little bit, but I understand where where he's coming from because uh that innocence that magic of of the comics for the youth yeah you lose that once you start to adultify them now i i don't know what adultification means but i will say <laughs> that the 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 watch was pretty spicy there yes, was a couple was. Of shots there <laughs> yes it was there's a couple things if y'all saw it y'all know what i mean <laughs> um but you know so maybe that's what he's talking about i feel also that um the f- so I it's a it's a couple things right it's also so in the age of mo- in the new age of movies that we're in mm-hmm. you can't help but redo these movies every five or six years redo these concepts every five every five or six years yeah. to chase the audience that initially was rocking with this these right. comics with the original material the OG materials so like if. A, a generation started reading some of these comics when they were like 
I don't know, 12. And now they're 42, right? That's 30 years. Yeah. And over 30 years, things that you wouldn't have thought about when you were 12, you apply to these comics now, you apply to these lessons now. And I think that's part of what DC, Marvel, all of them do. Mm -hmm. I mean, way off the beaten path is the boys. The boys is wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. Right? So, like... That comic is, but it has a moral arc. Yeah. It has that's another one that has a moral arc, and so and I think it seems very adult now. But I'm thinking all the cartoons. If if we're just going with not even comics, but just cartoons, I was watching when I was <laughs> young. Yeah, you go back and look now, and you're like, this was for adults the whole time. <laughs> right, right, right. Definitely. So yeah, definitely. And and when I think about cartoons, this is a kind of kind of a uh, side note here. I think about Captain Planet. Yes. And how we failed him. Fa- we failed him big time. And and and, and the thing is I seen uh, uh, I saw this meme uh that that talked about uh why they don't re-air Captain America. Yeah. Um uh, be, I mean Captain Planet. Captain Planet, yeah. Uh, be, because um uh Captain Planet talks about how these corporations and these greedy people... Oh, they had to shut him down. <laughs> and he was blue, it, so... It's like, yo, you calling me out, bro? <laughs> shut it down. Shut it, turn that off. You gonna teach these kids about recycling like, again. What? Crazy. <laughs> how the elements work together. Not not on my duty. <laughs> not, not. Not on my corporate no. watch. <laughs> so, uh, uh, before we head on to, to, our, um, to our third story, uh, I do want to uh, give y'all these these uh, numbers real quick. So between 2020 and 2021, the percentage of black characters in children's bestsellers decreased by 23 percent. In 2020, there were more black characters than white characters in children's bestsellers for the first time ever. And we all know what happened in 2020. That was George Floyd and the pandemic. There was also a 31 percent decrease in the percentage of children's bestsellers written by black authors from 2020 to 2021 from 2020 to 2021 also there was a it was the largest increase of mm. 17% in the percentage of bestsellers written by white authors over the last 10 years wow so as the bestsellers for black authors decreased at 31% white authors increased by 17 which is the largest increase that they have seen uh, in the last 10 years there are still three and a half children bestsellers uh, um, there are still 3.5 children's bestsellers by white author for mm-hmm. every children's bestseller for a black author. Wow. I'll say that again. For every one black author bestseller, there's three and a half white author wow. bestsellers. And finally, um, bestsellers are significantly more diverse than children's books as a whole. And that's based off of the CCBC data. Interesting. Yeah. Our our third story uh, for for today, as you all know, what I like to say, we're cooking with gas here. Uh, so Texas high schoolers suspended for wearing locks. This is disappointing, um, but it is also in Texas, and there's just certain and places. So no surprise. Yes, yes, it's just certain places. You know, you know, reading reading this. You can take out the headline. It says high schoolers suspended for wearing locks. And you can literally think that's anywhere. Right. Right. So let's get into it. In the same week that the state's Crown Act, which outlaws discrimination based on hair. In the same week. 
They did not waste any mm, time. Mm, mm. Uh, uh, went into effect. Daryl George found himself heading into school suspension. A Texas high school student is pushing back against a dress code policy that has landed him in in-school suspension for weeks. According to the Washington Post, Daryl George, a 17-year-old junior in the Barbers Hill Independent School District in Mount Bellevue, about 30 miles east of Houston, received dress code infractions before being suspended on August 31st. Family attorney Ali Booker said he he has until next week to cut his hair or face going to an alternative school. Jeez Louise. In the same week that the state's Crown Act, which outlaws longstanding discrimination based on hair texture and type, went into effect, George was disciplined because of a policy prohibiting him from wearing his locks, from wearing his hair in locks. Teresa George, her, his, his mom, said her son cannot work with his regular instructor mm. or receive the necessary education while he is under in-school suspension. He reportedly cannot interact with anybody or join the football team, only leaving the suspension room to use the bathroom. Uh, so my question here is, does does the punishment fit the crime? Well, the school district said the Crown Act doesn't apply to hair length. So its policy <laughs> does not contra- contravene the law, um, which I think is one of those things that make it difficult for people. It's like it's like what people did in Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. They they made a law saying that returners to from from prison and from jail can vote. And they went and said, OK, not if you owe any fines. Right. <laughs> so th- this is what happens when yeah. you have a, a well-intentioned law. You're going to find somebody. Who, ah, ah, ah. We didn't say he couldn't wear his hair natural. We just said it couldn't be long. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's it becomes this goalpost moving effort yeah. that is meant to tire you out. It's what Toni Morrison says. The point of racism is to distract you. This is racist. Mm. Um, the point of racism is to distract, is to distract. Distract you from the work, distract you from what you're supposed to be doing, distract yeah. you from everything. And it, it's meant to turn you around in loops. It's meant to make you tired so that you cut your hair, so yeah. that you conform. Right. 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 And so... When I when I when I read this, I'm just kind of like, you mean to tell me that y'all are going to disrupt this young man's education because you just can't stand to look at his head? Right. That's what you're telling me. Right. It has. It's nothing other. You should put him in suspension for nothing other than his hair. You're creating a problem. Yeah, exactly. He is going to come to school anxious, upset, angry because the environment he's in literally doesn't like the way that his hair literally grows out of his head. Right. Don't you have locks? Tell us about your yeah. lock journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. And um and and there there has been jobs in the past. Well, um not not jobs that I got, jobs that I went to the interview for and and I felt like, you know what, I didn't get that job because of my hair. Yeah. Um there there has been questions in job interviews like would you be willing to cut your beard? Would right. you be willing to cut your hair? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, uh, I don't think the beard question is the real question here. I, I, I think that's just a, you know, a segue right yes. into you asking, am I going to cut my hair? This this made me think about high school mm-hmm. being in Lancaster Catholic. You know, my, my mom had to come to the school and say that the way that his hair grows out of his head is not a concern 
to you. It's not a concern. <laughs> it doesn't make him a worse student or anything like that. It's not taking away from any of his learning abilities. Right. And again, my, my mom had, had to come in. And this was during a time during AI when everybody had had braids. Right. You know, and my braids right. weren't weren't even that long. Yeah. And 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 they still they still made a a stink about it. And my mom came in. Luckily, you know, they respected her or or they were afraid of her. I'll go with the latter. Yeah. Um, but but she knew exactly what I was going through because this point right here, black women's hair was two and a half times more likely to be perceived as unprofessional. Absolutely. More than half of the black women surveyed felt like they had to wear their hair straight in a job interview to be successful. And two thirds reported that they had changed their hair for a job interview and then changed it back after they got the job. That's insane. I had never worn wigs regularly until I came to Pennsylvania. Really? I wore them as a fashion statement. I mm -hmm. wore them as all kinds of other things. But I never did until I came here. My hair has been natural since probably 2000. Mm -hmm. Stopped getting perms. I don't even probably really straighten it anymore. But I remember coming out here. I had a mohawk, beloved mohawk. I was in grad school. School mm -hmm. was fine. But when I went to get a job, yeah. I had to find another hairstyle. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had to do. So if I wore it in twist, that wasn't good enough. If mm -hmm. I wore it, the I wasn't. I just started growing out the sides of my hair, but it's just too much hair to deal with, Lord Jesus. But wearing your hair natural in the so the the other thing was it said the, the hair couldn't be for this young man per the city per the dishes dress code. Boys' hair must be shorter than their earlobes and eyebrows. So there's a picture of the young man in the article. The hair is not touching his earlobes or his eyebrows. Mm. So I don't understand why he couldn't wear it out of his earlobes and eyebrows. Right. If you're making the argument that it can't be longer than the earlobes and eyebrows and somebody has it out of the way of both of those, what is the point? What is the you, issue? His hair is up. His hair is out the way. Right. He can't play football. He can't do this. He can't do that because y'all want him to, you want him to cut his hair. Right. That's what you want. Change his identity. Yeah. You want him to do that. Um, and, and before we go to our our next um, story here, of and course. I think it, and yeah, another thing, mm -hmm. I think it is completely asinine that people look at people's hair, particularly black folks' hair. They don't know any history behind it. They don't right. know what it is. They don't know what's happening, and they just deem it unacceptable, right. gross, all the words. And their first option is, you know, just cut it off. Right. Right. To please me, because it has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't right. have to do with anything. Right. It actually makes a person feel better to have their hair, wear their hair how they want to wear their hair. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say that they have no, I think it's just so audacious and so ridiculous just to look at somebody and be like, you know what would make me feel better about you if you cut your hair? <laughs> make me. Yes. Make me feel better looking at you. About you. you. Yes. Yeah. So the, let me make, make assuage my feelings because your hair is very aggressive. I had somebody actually tell me my hair was aggressive. Your hair was aggressive. And that is my another thing because I was just like, wow. Man. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the 2019 Crown Workplace uh, Research Study showed uh, similar results to what we're talking about and found that black women were 83% more likely to report being judged harshly because of their looks compared to other women. And a quarter of black women surveyed believe they were denied a job because of their hair. And they can't tell you, but you know, you, right. you can feel it. Right. Especially when they, they are in the interview and they just like this. 
<laughs> just looking at your head. Can't even concentrate on the words coming out your mouth. Right. They don't care. They don't know what happened. They couldn't hear you because right. your hair was too loud for them. You know, hair doesn't say nothing yet. But. Right. Regardless what's on the resume. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, so our fourth story here takes us to Mexico. So mm, people, this is crazy. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Just a warning to everyone: yeah. prepare to roll your eyes because it's ridiculous. Hard. <laughs> people are not buying that alleged alien corpse shown to Mexico's Congress by extraterrestrial experts are real. So let's get into it. A UFOologist unveiled the bodies of what he says are the remains of aliens while testifying to Congress in Mexico this month. Shock ensued after Jamie Masson paraded two caskets in the congressional chambers and revealed what he said were the bodies of two extraterrestrials. Masson claimed that the bodies were more than a thousand years old and found in Peru back in 2017. The remains were small in stature with elongated heads and three fingers on each hand. And this is according to NPR. He also claimed that the aliens had no teeth but had large eyes and brains, which allowed for uh, wide stereoscopic vision. Uh, so if if you all if you all we will um, uh, attach a picture to this uh, so you can head on over to the WITF website to see the picture of what Dr. K said, this uh, paper mache masterpiece. I I've, mean, if my third grader made this, I would be. I'd, I'd be impressed. <laughs> Did you see the hip bones? You saw right, the hip bones. Right. Hip bones is crazy. Very voluptuous right, alien. Right. Okay. I was so confused. I was like, so y'all went into the government chambers with this foolishness? Yo, how is that possible? <laughs> how is that possible? And so one of the articles says the 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 headline's hilarious from from Smithsonian Magazine said. Alien corpses displayed to Mexican Congress did not convince scientists. Of course they weren't going to convince scientists. <laughs> right. When in the world would they have convinced a scientist that these were real? I just thought it was the most craziest thing I had ever read in my life. And I personally am obsessed with things like UFOs yes. um, and things like that. But this was just... It was a little... You got to make it believable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I'm, I'm looking at it. I'm like, this... This is very ET-ish. And this is very much on the heels of 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 some whistleblower saying that the aliens were real. Yeah. Remember? And the whole world was like, okay, aliens are real. Do y'all, are y'all going to fix this economic problem? <laughs> so you got to come with something a little better than right. paper mache alien with right. hips. Right. Exactly. With pelvic bones. <laughs> My word. Right. Uh, so uh, our, our first point here, uh, former Navy SEAL pilot and executive director, of the Americans for Safe Aerospace Organization, Ryan Graves, also testified at the hearing and said that aliens exist. Uh, Graves testified about the existence of extraterrestrials in front of a subcommittee of the United States back in July. And veteran Air Force intelligence officer Major David Grush was also on hand and claimed that the U.S. government was in possession of non-human bodies during his testimony in front of Congress in Washington, D.C., on July 26, and Grush said that the U.S. government was hiding a decades-long program that captures unidentified aerial phenomenons, or UAPs, otherwise known as UFOs. And I really think that they kind of played themselves here and, Big facts. and, and, and really didn't think how much of a non-response there was going to be when, you know, this, 
this information about extraterrestrials dropped. Like, I, I really believe that they expected bedlam, like a whole bunch of chaos, people losing their minds. Oh, we're not the only ones. But you really have to think about it when when you give people you know, 60, 75 years of of extraterrestrial talk, extraterrestrial movies, yes. extraterrestrial sightings and everything like that. This becomes a part of our fiber and we just become b- b- believers just because of being inundated with so much information. What say you, Dr. K? So I think so. The other thing to know here, too, is um, this guy already tried it. All right. <laughs> so inundated information, yes, all that, but this guy already tried it. So in 2015, he tried to serve alien realness. He did, um, but it turned out to be a human child. <laughs> so your track record's also already bad. Right. So here you come again, seven, eight years later, trying to do the thing in Mexico, and we, and we didn't believe you then. Like, so you just pop up in Mexico and you thought this was gonna work, sir? I am very, dis- I am disgusted. Right. Right. And you know what? Again, if you wanted to scare me, you could have just made it a little more realistic. Give me like one alien arm, a toe. Right. And be like, yep, this is old alien fossil. You could have been a rock you carved out. <laughs> but one little alien's so like, this is, the, I don't know, this is, I think it's an alien. But right. you, you produce an entire Body. intact thousand year old Yo. corpse. <laughs> like, come uh, on. Th- quote, unquote. <laughs> like, come on. Like, very unbelievable. Very unbelievable. <laughs> Very unbelievable. Oh man! So we are we are headed to our our last story of of the day. That uh, Dr. K. This is always 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 a pleasure uh, having you come on and discuss and disseminate and uh, dissertate. I don't know if that's a word. It but is. It is. All right. It is a word. <laughs> uh, and, and dissertate these uh, facts, news, and information. Uh, so I would like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the Melanin Report today. Thank so, you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, indeed. So our final story. And I heard, still... I heard they've been, they been downloading the... Oh, yes. <laughs> they've been downloading and subscribing. We heard about that. Yes, thank and make y'all. sure that you share, too. Because mm-hmm. friends don't let friends. The Melanin Report alone. That's right. Yes. So there's still resistance to black people receiving reparations despite evidence that we deserve them. The California Reparations Task Force is on a mission to educate citizens about the state's history with slavery. So getting into it, California has been the most proactive state when it comes to organizing a reasonable plan to give black people reparations for the harm that slavery has caused them for hundreds of of years. Mm. The California Reparations Task Force has been extremely instrumental in doing the research into how chattel slavery affected generations of black people in the state and led to disproportionately high levels of incarceration, Mm -hmm. policing, and housing discrimination. But despite their efforts and their detailed research that shows how the state was complicit in slavery, there are still those who do not think the state should be making amends to black people in the form of payments. A recent poll from the University of California, Berkeley, shows that most California residents are against black people receiving any form of payment from the state. (laughs) Specifically, 59% of respondents were totally resistant to the idea that black descendants of slaves in the state should receive monetary payments. When broken up into demographics, it showed that 76% of black people were for reparations in the form of cash payments, and 66% of white people were against the idea of black people getting paid. So 
I just want to know, uh, I just have this question. Who's the 24 percent of black people that said that black people shouldn't get reparations? They can't be from. I, well, I don't know. <laughs> I would. I, Some I, people are from this country who think that. But yeah. yeah like like I weird. would. I, I would. I would like to see their their economic situation. Like, are they economically OK or or economically thriving where they're just like, oh, reparations? No, right. no, we don't need it. None for you. Right. We're none for us. Right. We're fine. <laughs> we're fine. We can get it on our own. Like, yeah. like I, I, I would really want to know uh, the story <sighs> behind these numbers. What say you? I think that. People arguing against reparations have a a type of Stockholm syndrome from slavery Mm. across the diaspora. I also see people who do not have a lineage of slavery um, misunderstanding the effect, the long lasting effects of slavery in places like the United States. Right. Because slavery just didn't didn't just happen here, but it happened here in a very specific way. Yeah. And so folks don't quite get that. Um, the United States were one of the last places in the world to abolish slavery completely, wow. right? Yeah. There were there were places around the world who um, had abolished slavery a generation or two before the United States. Mm. So th- these kinds of things are important to note when people start kind of regurgitating these weird talking points about why black people in particular don't uh, deserve reparations in yeah. the United States, let's contextualize it, because as we know, slavery was not an economic driver. It wasn't one of the top five. It was the right. economic driver. Uh, there is two people I want to mention here. One is um, the Who We Are. I mean, I have to look it up, but Who We mm-hmm. Are documentary. And um, this man did an excellent job of explaining how uh Slavery, literally, they understood the economic impact that slavery had on this country, Mm -hmm. how we were able to build literally everything out of not paying black and brown folks and other groups that 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 came before. Well, after black, black uh, diaspora, African diaspora slaves. So there were plenty of groups that came after that they tried to replicate slavery with what they couldn't because they knew they knew paying people a a a low wage or no wage um was the how they were going to build this country that yeah. was a given and then second secondly there were also slaves like um, her name is Callie House, who was born into slavery in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. She lived from 1881, 1861 to 1928. And she was a huge advocate for organizing pensions for ex-slaves because she wow. understood the economic um, gap that was left by not paying slaves over so many generations mm-hmm. and demanded, really, and organized people to get these pensions. Um, and, and she was one of the main characters Mm. in that time that laid the groundwork for all of the reparations talks that we're having right now because she was successful in getting uh, getting these pensions, Mm -hmm. which are very similar to what folks are asking for in the terms of reparations. Now, it's similar to what she was fighting for and succeeded in getting, I think it was over 300 slaves, that that pension. So these kinds of things are very, very important to know. These are 
historical. She she had an organization called the National Ex-Slave Mutual Relief Bounty and Pension Association. The organizing the organization sought pensions for former slaves as compensation for their unpaid labor and suffering. Despite facing significant opposition, including legal challenges, House's relentless efforts laid the groundwork for future discussions on reparations. Her dedication to the cause showcased the importance of grassroots movements in addressing systemic injustices. Mm. So when we're talking about folks who are going directly against, particularly black and black folks <laughs> who are going directly against reparations, I think it's a it's a misalignment with hi, with a historical understanding. Mm-hmm. It's a misalignment with the economic understanding of what slavery did. Yeah. It's a misalignment of how it still affects people today, today. right? Because you're here, oh, it was such a long time ago. Why would you be still? And people are very mad when you bring up slavery as if it has nothing to do now. And not just slavery. After slavery, how many patents? Um, the, the patent, there's a whole series that yeah. I think the lady came on NPR. Mm-hmm. The whole series of... of um, Patents that were missing over the years because it, it wasn't even conceptualized that we should credit black and brown folks for the work after slavery now Man. that they did to be inventors. Yeah. So when we talk about the ramifications of slavery, when people say that black and black folks, African diaspora folks who were slaves don't deserve reparations, what they're saying is we don't understand history. We yeah. don't understand how this has had reverberated throughout the entire country and throughout the world and how much was robbed. And not just it was post-slavery too, Jim Crow, all yeah. these different eras <clears throat> that followed slavery. People don't understand the history. If you knew, think about it this way, and I'll and I will hush after this. No, keep on going. <clears throat> think about it this way. If you knew somebody had systematically stolen millions of dollars from your family Come on with it. for so for four, five, six, seven, eight generations and you had a way to get it back. Would you not get your family stuff back? I don't understand. People people are acting like black and brown folks who's particularly those who have a lineage of of, of slavery because a lot of us don't and we don't some people don't acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. That's a true thing as well. I found out one branch of my family uh I had a, a ancestor that was slated for slavery who never made it. Oh, wow. Didn't make it into slavery, was rehabilitated on St. Helena and mm-hmm. sent to Trinidad and Tobago. So hmm. th- there's a th- we have a varied history. But for those people who have um, a slave, a enslaved lineage, literally, like people don't like to say it like that, but I do, mm-hmm. because we want to talk about that economic impact. Yeah. If you knew somebody was stealing from you and stole from your grandmother, stole from your family, what does um, Cookie Lion say in um, Empire? I'm just here to get what's mine. What was that line she said over and over again? I'm just here to get what's mine, right? I'm just here to get what's mine. Right. Yeah. Right. And and um and and before we wrap things up, um, I do think that language language really matters mm-hmm. here. So um maybe if we change the name from reparations to a slavery pension, because I really like the way that you put it, mm-hmm. you know, a slavery pension. Well, when that wasn't me, that was Callie House, just in case <laughs> y'all forgot, right? Callie House's organization was the National Ex-Slave Mutual Relief Bounty and Pension Association. And that's a real thing. Yeah. That's a real organization. And I think I think language matters. Yes. Reparations wasn't a bad word until it was a bad word. Reparations, all these words were not bad words until they're bad words. Same thing with well, I might say a real bad word here. Defund the police. It was not a bad word <laughs> right. until it was a bad word. You yeah. know what I mean? When people really were were doing these actions, no matter what we think about these phrases, reparations and all this other stuff, 40 acres and a mule, right? People kind of um, uh, 
com- made a comedic joke out of 40 acres and a mule, right? Mm-hmm. Ha ha ha, that's some, that's some old old black people stuff they yeah. asked for. N- reparations, bad word. You guys are just lazy. You just want something for free. Went not think, again, historical context. Mm-hmm. But I think whether we call it a pension, a reparations, a fund, whatever, an ex-slave fund, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, a restoration really is what it yeah. is. It's restoration. It's restitution yeah. and um, costs and fines for what happened to black people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, that concludes our top five stories to begin your week. But before we head out, I, I do have some church announcements oh, to make. Oh, yes, church uh, announcements. <laughs> to, to highlight. Uh, so, uh, Black News Beat. Oh, yeah. Black News Beat. Dr. K, when can they check you out? Listen, we have a show coming up this Tuesday, the 19th, and we also have another show coming up on the 27th of September. We have three shows this month, but we usually don't. Um, And so we'll be at Open Stage on the 19th and the 27th. Um, Happy hours at 6.30. Show starts at 7.30. And we are going to hopefully, cross fingers for us, be back up on streaming online. You can check us out anywhere that you can... Figure it out. YouTube, <laughs> Facebook. We'll be on LinkedIn. Hey. <laughs> we'll be a couple different places on uh, several different f- platforms. Just type in Black News Beat into your browser and it should come up. Ah, there you go. And guess what? Though? Wait, wait, wait. Don't don't zoom past this. We have a new writer on the Black News Beats. <laughs> I wonder who that could be. Could it be Marquise Lupton hey, of the Melanin Report? Could it be him? <laughs> Thank you for joining the writing team. Appreciate you. Oh, oh yeah. Had to. Had to. Uh, so the conversation continues on Wednesday with part two of this week's series. And we have... We have with us a great, great interview. So please, I implore you to go download it on on Wednesday. Uh, so go ahead and, and set your set your reminders yes. to download it. Don't forget. Yes, and then on Friday we have our panel discussion and our monologue as well. Uh, so you, you'll definitely want to tune in to part three coming out. This Friday, last last Friday, we talked about uh, the history of the black church and the social and political ramifications of that. So if you did not check that out, go on ahead. Folks, we're going to put a pin in it, leave it right there, and we'll see you on the other side. This is the Melanin Report with Marquise Lupton. Proceed to the door he had opened for me. Your blessings are closer than they may receive. Just reach out and you shall receive. 
Lost my homie two years ago. He was more like your brother, though. Hung together like some pots and pans. He was my man, yeah, honey, grand. More like my guardian angel. Watching me every day. R.I.P. my brother TJ. God gave me little DJ. Changes. Chain like a slave, but reflections are free. I asked the Lord why he reminded me that the circumstance is not my identity. Keep running on, they see shackles on feet. The Mary was Mary, I tackled the beat. Caught me a blessing, I had to go deep. The door that I knocked on, I had to proceed. The door was unlocked, but I had me no keys. I played my position, but had me no team. Me and bro cooking with no recipe. Lord, give me a sign, DMX, rest in peace. Look through my eyes, it might seem like I'm slipping, I'm falling. I gotta get up for the mission. We not going anywhere, that's contradiction. We on the move, living through our intuition we vision the changes i'm going through some changes please don't judge me